1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. I'll title the message this morning simply, Living a Stable Life. Living a Stable Life. If you're not a stable Christian, you're not a reliable Christian. We like you. I mean, people like you. People like to be around you, and you're fun, or you're serious, or you're helpful, or something. But if you're not stable as a Christian with what you're supposed to leave, if you're not steadfast, if you fluctuate a lot, if you're up and down and this way and that way, eventually we'll know you're like that, and that's not a good characteristic of your life. In fact, the world catches on to this, and they often think of us as, many of us, as yo-yo Christians. You know, they're up and then they're down. They're up and then they're down. You catch them when they're up, boy, they're strong. You catch them when they're down, and they just give up because they're not stable. Now, we should be. We're given all the equipment, Spirit of God, His Word, time, a place. We're given all the things that we need that are sufficient, for every one of us being stable. But alas, as the stories go, even with all the gifts and the equipment, the time and place and all of that that God's given us, too many Christians are really not stable. You really can't rely on them to fulfill, accomplish, or do certain things or trust them to accomplish something because they might not. They might quit halfway through it because they're not stable. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. I'll start with 57, actually. It says, But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this chapter is talking about the change at the end, the coming of the Lord, and our bodies are going to be changed, and we're coming to that. In the meantime, thanks be to God who, with all the wrestlings and struggles that we're going to encounter, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 58, therefore, in light of this, having the assurance that God who started this is really going to do this and only he can do this, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, the two words there that Hooked together means stable, are the words steadfast and unmovable. They're not the same Greek words, but they imply the title of the message, being stable. He says, be you steadfast and unmovable. These words, when they're active and identifiable in your life, steadfast, unmovable, stable, it indicates that you are a person who has taken serious the Lord's admonitions to walk with him, and you have complimented him, that is, you have shown that his word is right when you begin to live on his terms, when you don't give in, when you don't give up, when you don't draw back and all of that kind of stuff. You are showing that what he has said eternally has forever been true, and look, when you apply it in your life, it does work, Amen. and it is a real compliment to who you are this morning if you're a stable person and you're steadfast because it indicates that you really are laying your hand to the plow and you really are not looking back and you really are pressing in. And it's all seen in this one word about being stable. 
In a church, you would be the kind of person people would choose to do something because you're dependable. Your testimony is coming to the surface, as all of ours does. All of us are known by something, by somebody. And eventually, we'll all know the kind of people we really are in light of all the things that we have heard. When you're stable, you not only are dependable, but you're also a reliable person because you have shown that you're not one to back off, back away, give up, give in, and so forth. Now, the word stable, in looking at many dictionaries, both Greek and English, they all basically say the same thing. It means that as a stable person, you're one who is firmly established. The Greek word for steadfast in 1 Corinthians 15 literally means chair, a seat. It means that one that is seated is not moving around. You're not going anywhere. You're fixed in one spot. It doesn't mean the chair can't be moved, but the picture is once you're seated, you're not moving around. You're not going here to there, tossed to and fro, that type of thing. You are in one spot, and you're not getting up. And therefore, given the word of meaning, you think of the words firmly established, fixed, steadfast, not changing or fluctuating, firm in resolution. You think of one who is not easily moved, shaken, or overthrown. These are dictionaries that I have read about. One word. All of these things define one word, stable. You're the kind of person who is not easily diverted from a purpose. You're steady, firm. You're not easily surrendered. You don't give in. You're not one who abandons what you believe. You're durable and not subject to be overthrown or changed. Wow, what kind of person? That is simply a person who's stable. Paul talks about him here. Be ye, therefore, like that. Stable, fixed, unmovable. Unmovable, not likely to be moved off course. You got to picture somebody who is certainly movable because you're human. But a human who has made a decision in his connection with God that has brought divine strength into his life, and no matter what the devil does to this person, even though it hurts and even though it's not comfortable, this person is not going to give in. You're stable. Would to God that all of us in our marriages, we had stable husbands and stable wives. We were committed to what we believe, what we vowed we would do when we got married. Would to God we were that steadfast. We could be counted on to do that. We could live a testimony that says, I'm living what I believe. And people would say, that guy, that lady, she's a Christian. They're Christians. Note Colossians 1, where it talks about this in a different way, but talking about the same things. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 22, talking about you that were once sinners and stuff. You've been reconciled and brought to God, verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. We mentioned that recently here, that God's goal for you, his finishing work in your life will be to present you holy unreprovable, wow, and unblameable in his sight, and nothing is hidden from his eyes. And verse 23 begins with a condition that must be met in order for that to happen. 
If you want verse 22 to be real, there must be the condition of 23 that you meet. You can't ignore this. It doesn't just happen. You don't just become holy. Verse 23 says, if. Is the first word, if. If. Notice, if you continue in the faith like this, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope or the expectation of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. If. That's quite a thought to me anyway. It's a thought-provoking situation. God's goal for us is to be holy and unblameable and unreprovable. He has said that he wants and he's going to present somebody like that. And he said, the possibility of that in our life depends on, as I've said, verse 23. If you, by an act of your will, a choice you make, if you are willing to continue in the faith. Now, the faith here is not referring to asking God to give you something and walking something out. The faith here probably refers to the way of the Christian life. The Christian life is called the way in the book of Acts. The faith can refer to a collection of doctrines. That is, the way that God has set before us that a man ought to live, the choices, the right choices a man ought to make, this is the way a man should live. This is what makes him right, or this is what declares he's wrong. It's the Word of God. And so, a man who is willing, again, to commit himself to that and makes up his mind, I'm not turning back, and stays with this, God will do this work in him. God isn't going to chase you every day of your life, try to get you to come to church and try to get you to hold still so he can do a work in you. You either want him to do it or you don't. Now, if you acknowledge that he's going to do this, but you're not continuing in the faith, then he won't do it. It's not that he couldn't. It's just that he himself said, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled. Does your Bible say that? Well, settled is the same word, I think, as the word steadfast in 1 Corinthians 58. Steadfast and settled are the same words. This is the kind of person that God wants all of us to be. This is our testimony. If I ask your friend, if you're a stable Christian, what would your closest friend say? We'll get to that more in just a moment. I want to talk this morning about keys to living a stable life, things that you can do that will bring this into your life because it says again, if you continue in the faith, in the things that you have been taught, if you are willing as an act of your will to keep living this way, keep walking and keep trusting God, quit making excuses, quit saying you're not ready for that or I can't, but just simply say, I can do all things through Christ then he will, in the process of your struggles, and it's often called that, he will do a work of perfecting you, make you holy. He will cleanse you. You will be unblameable and unreprovable in his sight at the end. Praise God for that. Number one, as a key, if you want to be stable this morning, if you do, number one, know what you believe. Know what you believe. Know what you believe. Would you look in 2 Timothy? You're not that far from it. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
and verse 14. But continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able, the scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that you, the man or the woman, the, the child of God, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, a life of doing the things that God wants you to do. You're prepared for it and you do it. Now you notice he said in verse 14, we probably are more familiar with this than other verses, but he said, but you, here again is an act of your will, a choice you make. You continue in the things which you have learned. Now, quickly, just look across the page at verse 7. See, here's a problem with a lot of so-called meeting-going, note-taking, tape-hearing busy people. I've seen this all the days of my saved life. I've seen various times, I've seen movements, all different kinds of movements. I was in one, and I've seen people busy with tapes and studies and meetings and prayer and all the things that go with that. And yet, 20, 30 years later, they've abandoned all of that because with all that activity, Something didn't work in their hearts. And I would challenge all of those in the past 30 years who've given up, I would say this to all of them, none of you were stable. You all heard the truth. You all were aware of the truth. You had the means to get to the meetings and buy the tapes and take the notes. You had time to read them, study them. You had made lots of phone calls and gathered together a lot. 25, 30 years later, you've already quit. Because something in all of that busyness didn't connect to make you a stable person. There are people today who 30 years ago had strong convictions. and We'll get to that in a minute. Had strong convictions. And they have abandoned most of those convictions now. There are people who used to point their finger and rebuke people for the... Santa Claus Christmas tree mentality they were hanging on to, and now they do it. They're back into it. People that I have known well in my life who were against it are great proponents of it now. Everything that we once went through deliverance from, we came out of a system that had spiritually corrupted us and left the residue of bad spirits working through us. We went through deliverance from all of that. Here, 30 years later, they're doing it again. Now, something is wrong. It is in all of this church going. We meet here twice a week for almost 27 and a half years. Now, we ought to be stable. We ought to know what we believe. Because that's number one. You got to know what you believe. You can't say, well, uh, we believe. This is not talking about we. This is not a paper. This is not editorial this morning. It ain't about us. It's about you. What do you believe? What are you convinced of? What are you assured of this morning? 
of all the messages and the topics and the hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of time we've met together and taught, what do you believe? Should you still struggle with the same thing you struggled with 20 years ago today? You shouldn't. All your fears should have been replaced with the confidence of your hope. Hope is expectation. This is what you're counting on to happen. You should have that. Faith is the very substance of what you hope for or what you expect. You expect things to happen because you believe. Faith is the substance. It gives reality to what you're believing for. That's why I don't have to pray for it all the time. I believe I have it. I'm waiting on it to happen. Praise the Lord. Then why is it that it doesn't work like that with so many people? Is it maybe because we really don't know for sure what we believe? We were hoping all this stuff works. Oh, we believe this way. We believe that way. The faith camp believes like this. Well, we don't wear glasses. We don't go to doctors. We don't have insurance. We don't wear, go, do. It doesn't matter what we does. Because all those that said we 20 years ago are back where just the opposite. What do you believe? If I, as a human being, am going to be stable, I cannot pattern my life after any of you. Any great teacher, any great anybody, I may follow their faith, see that it worked for them, it'll work for me too. But my confidence, my hope, and my convictions are in Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. If I'm going to have faith setting under somebody, that somebody's got to point me to Jesus and not get me to rely on Him. There's no hope in trusting in a human being. There is no hope. My hope, as song said, is built on nothing less than Jesus and His righteousness. I must know in whom I have believed. My faith must be in Jesus. Why do I believe in healing this morning? Well, I see it in the Bible. Somebody told me it was in there. Praise God. Thank you, sir. Or thank you, mom. Or aunt, or granny. Thank you for telling me that this was in here. That doesn't mean I believe it. You do. You obviously do. You're telling me it works because you know it works. I don't know that it'll work. I'm glad it worked for you. How do I know it'll work for me? It doesn't work because I can read it. It doesn't work because I found it in the Bible. I've got to believe something here. I can't leave faith out of this. I must believe what he said. Like he said in verse 14, continue in the things, and you can if you don't. You won't continue if this doesn't work. Continue in the things you have learned. Did you all find verse 7? Some are ever learning ever involved in acquiring more facts, and yet it never gets put together. They never see the bigger picture, and yet never coming. How is that possible? Well, as the Bible says, it's possible. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Now, if the truth doesn't capture your heart and affections, then it doesn't set you free. You wonder about it, and you wonder why it doesn't. You read it, you go to church, you give, you're active, you're involved in a local body. 
but it seems like something's missing in my life. Well, something is. It's faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. But you don't have faith because you've heard it. It starts like that. I can't believe what I don't know. Hearing is instruction. You're teaching me something. You're showing me something that I don't see clearly. Talking about the preacher. Or a parent who wants their child to do well, who knows this. So you begin to teach. I begin to listen. Faith comes this way. This is how it works. I listen. And instead of letting my mind wander and drift and go somewhere else and not pay attention, because you can do that, I begin to listen. And if I'm a wise man, after I hear that, I'll ask myself, do I believe that? Can I believe that? Is it really possible for me with all the years of colds and pneumonia and antihistamines I've had to take, is it possible for me to be well and whole and not need that stuff anymore? Is it possible for me to take a chance through life and not have health insurance? Ooh. I was born in fear. I was bred in fear. I was raised in fear. And my fears challenge the word when I hear it. We got a war here. The word in my heart says, trust God. My head says, yeah, but what if it doesn't work? And as long as this war is going on and nobody's winning, then I can't have faith. I can have knowledge, but it won't work for me. It doesn't do me any good. I'll be like one of those I've talked about earlier. 30 years later, they're sitting in some dead church just wondering what happened. Wondering what happened. And then they think you're hard when you say, shame on you. They think, oh, you're too hard. Would to God it had been harder on you. Wouldn't have let you alone and let you sulk in your pity and in your failures. And just come along and slap you upside your head, spiritually speaking. You get in trouble if you do that as a preacher. But just come and spiritually slap you on the head and say, quit that pouting. Well, I failed. Everybody knows you failed. Everybody in the world knows you failed. God knows you failed. He didn't say it's all right to fail. You failed. Repent. Now get up. Is he done with you? You still have any stirrings in your heart? Yes. Well, then let's go. Let's go. Get up. I'm just up. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're seated in heavenly places with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's put his spirit in you to enable you to walk with him, not mope and moan. We don't groan like bears and moan like doves. Get up. Let's go. Amen. You can't be an encouragement to any soul in the world if you're up and down, up and down. Nobody wants to be like you because you don't know what you believe. You want to believe a lot of things because you want to be right, but there's something wrong with the continuing part or the application of, or maybe the searching part. Searching, try our ways, and, and looking and seeking. The problem's in verse 13. Somebody's taught us wrong. Somebody's informed us wrong. Jesse James rode into the camp and held us up, robbed us when we were young, robbed our parents. Evil men and imposters show acts worse and worse. Never, I don't think, has there ever been a time which deception is as rampant as it is now, right now. 
There's always been deceivers. There was in this day. But they are so evident today because of computers and technology. We can go from one end of the world to the other instantly. More information is available now. More things are open to be found out and understood now than ever before. So he said, especially in the last days, evil men and imposters, seducing spirits and doctrines of demons will be worse and worse. It gets more worse, more gross in the last days. That's why he said in verse 14, but now you continue, quit listening to all these voices. You continue in the things you have learned from people you know believe it. That's what he's saying. Listen to what you're hearing from people who know what they believe and can verify it with their life. You listen carefully. Don't just get off on the radio and follow this one and follow that one and go to this meeting and that meeting and follow a movement or a noise or a sound or a voice. You're not going to have any faith at the end of that. I've seen movements, well, the shepherding movement in the early 70s all the way through to whatever's going on right now. I've seen them all rise. Every one of them fail. And it devastates all of those involved because after two or three failures, they just give up. Just give up. I remember one of the prophets, so-called prophets in the late 80s and very early 90s that everybody was clamoring over, just clamoring over. They had the big meeting up in Indianapolis at the Adams Mark. I've been there. This so-called prophet would say things and people were just giddy. Now, I don't weep over stuff like this, but I remember listening to some of that and I have to turn the tape recorder off and I would, something like this, say, Lord, I cannot believe these people have no discernment. After all the years sitting where they sat and listening to who they listened to, they have no discernment. But the newest leaders in this place were just as giddy as these people were, just as foolish, just as foolish as the other people were. And look what happened to them. You continue in the things you have learned and that you have wrestled with on a personal level that you have been convinced of. Find out for yourself what the Bible says. Don't take my word for it. Find out for yourself. Be convicted. Convicted. To be convicted is to be convinced. It's the state of being convinced, of being persuaded about something. That's what a conviction is. The difference between a preference and a conviction is, because church is full of preference, well, we would prefer to walk this way, but, you know, that's the liberal mindset. A preference can be a very strong belief. You'll take it a long, long way, but eventually you'll give it up. Somebody sticks a gun to your head or threatens to take your child. You'll give up that because it's not a conviction. But if it's a conviction, it's a God-ordered belief that you cannot change. It's a God-ordered belief. It's God saying this is the way. There is no other way. Now, you wrestle with me about this until you make the decision, and I hope all of you do this, verse 2 of that song, though none go with me, still I will follow. I want that to be a God-ordered conviction in my life. Learn. Listen. Turn to Proverbs 4. Look at verse 13. 
I believe that God has given us in this hour not only a place to meet, but time to meet. This place is big enough for us right now. It's clean enough. It's convenient enough. We got three potties. <laughs> Tell them about the old days when we upstairs, the only potty was downstairs and you had to go outside to get to it. I don't remember very many people ever complained about that. They were just glad to be there. So Proverbs 4 and verse 13, good advice here because the whole book is like this, but he said, take fast hold of instruction and let her not go. What does that mean? Well, you know what that means. Instruction is teaching. To instruct is to declare facts about something. It's what school is all about. It's teaching. Isn't this true? You can sit in the best university in the world and learn nothing. Could you sit under the best professor and learn nothing? I had a biology professor my freshman year in college at Moorhead. And Dr. Alsey, I'm sure, was one of the best in the country. The words were so big. The ideas were so vague. Of course, being an athlete and being very, very stupid. I knew where the class was. And I went there occasionally. I didn't do well in the class. But this man taught right things about biology. I mean, he knew what he was talking about, and he taught it well. I didn't learn well because I didn't want to. You know, I'm in the class. I'm here. I'm on a scholarship, at least for now. I'm here. I was threatened, if you don't do better, you're losing your scholarship. So I had to do better. I had to go to school. I had to go to class, and I hated that, but I did. But anyway, back to what I was saying. He said, take fast hold of instruction. This is the part of the process of continuing. If you're going to continue in the Lord, this is a must. You don't know enough yet. You don't know too much. We have not been taught too much. And, you know, people have told you, you folks are overtaught. None of us are. Nobody is overtaught if 20 years from now you're back into the old dead systems that you came out of. You have not been taught too much because something is lacking in the way you're hearing it with bringing conviction into your heart. Something's got to determine us. It's got to find a way of getting inside of us and pointing us in the right direction. It's designed to do that. We have to be willing to let that happen. Look in verse 22. You know verse 22, my son, give attention to my word. Verse 20, incline your ear into my saying, let them not depart from me. I give them to your heart for their, what do those that find them? Life. What's life? Say the word. My son, give attention to what? Verse 13, take fast hold of instruction and don't let her go. Keep her for she is thy life. This is what we live by. This is the way we walk. This is where our faith comes from. We are given to live this way, but we must be convinced of it or we will not live this way. Faith is being faithful. And you cannot be faithful unless you know what you believe. Well, we believe. No, it's not we believe. It's what do you believe? Well, they believe. It's not they believe. It's what do you believe? Do you believe in divine healing? 
Do you believe that God will heal you no matter what? Supply your needs? Guide your steps? Preserve you unto his coming? How do you know he will? How do you know? Was it Paul who said, for I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded, convinced as well as convicted that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day? Secondly, after you know what you believe, very simply, you have to know why you believe. Why do you believe in what you say you believe in? Because your mom and dad believe in it? Well, maybe you would say, because I'm supposed to, brother. I am supposed to believe like this. It's required of me to believe this way. That's why I believe. We're supposed to. That's not a good reason. The reason you believe is because it's a conviction. It's a conviction. It is what God has convinced you of. It's what determines your choices now. Other people who haven't been convicted about what you're convicted of will persecute you. You remember when you got convicted about holidays, if you have been? You heard somebody say something about it, you didn't like it because you don't want to give it up. I mean, after all, I got several people giving me gifts. Of course, you got to give them something too. Plus, everybody does it. Who do you know? Who did I know that didn't do Christmas? Everybody did. Now, I happen to get a hold of this tape. Why this time of year do I have to get this tape? Why couldn't this have been February? But I've got this tape. Now, here it is at the end of November. I've got this tape on Christmas. I don't know why I listened to it. Why did I listen to it? I could have pled ignorance. I listened to it, and I was disturbed by it because this, whoever said the tape, I'm making this up, but it's probably true. You know, you listen to the tape, and you think, oh, man. But then something about your heart and the Word of God. They quoted the Bible. You can't say that's your opinion. So you go to the Bible. The sermon is laced with Scripture, so you can't say, oh, this is just his opinion, because the Scripture says. So having that kind of a heart when I got saved, I went to see what the Scripture says. And I had to agree with the man. It's not in there. Now, I've got something forming in me that's called a conviction. I'm being convinced by the Holy Ghost that this is not a thing I should do. Now, my mind comes into play and says, yes, almighty one, but what will you do when your mother, your father, your brother, your family, all your friends at school, the people you run around with, even the people in the church you're a part of, you're going to mess everything up, man. Why don't you just get over it? Well, most people do if it's going to cost you something. See, you might have a strong persuasion about I shouldn't do this, but Given the consequences, I don't know about that. And they give in because it's not a conviction. But when it's a conviction, there comes that moment. What's old Santa going to bring you for Christmas? 
I said, well, hopefully nothing. He'd have a hard time getting through the heat ducts anyway because we don't have a chimney. <laughs> no. But I said, well, you know, I'm having some questions about Christmas and about the validity of it as a Christian way of life. What? It's Jesus' birthday, man. Well, you know, I did some study about that. Well, you study too much. <laughs> Jesus couldn't have been born in December because his shepherds were still in the field. It wasn't cold yet. Well, how did it get to be December? Well, there was a pagan holiday at the end of the year. You know, the, the sun, you know, the days and nights, they get equal they get to be equal time. So many days is dark, and many days is light at this time. And then the sun begins to be reborn, S-U-N, and the sun begins to be lighter and lighter and lighter until, you know, the summer you got more light than you have dark. And so the rebirth of the sun. So they added the S-O-N to that. The Catholics did. And so we got Christ Mass, a Mass for Christ. Oh, and the Christmas crowd hates to hear this. They don't want to hear it. They had a mass for Christ so they could justify the rowdiness they were going to participate in in Saturnalia. They were going to do that anyway, so they added a church night to it, and they had a mass for Christ. They crucified him again. They worked another miracle. They turned the water into wine. And the people believed it. They had no convictions about anything except, you know, the church is our master. If the church says we can go to Mass and do that, that's fine. And people like the fun of it all, chestnuts roast. They like all of that kind of stuff and all the cozy warmth of this time of year. That's why they yell at you at the traffic light and cuss you out in the store, and everybody's always mad during this time of year. Chestnuts roast, yeah, they're roasting all right. But you get a conviction. You can't get away from this. Because you want to be honest before God, you let your conviction determine your walk. And in spite of the persecution that comes your way, you don't give up because this is what I believe. Show me where I'm wrong. Just show me. Let me work on that and I'll turn back. And your convictions begin to prevail. And the old begins to pass away, and new things begin to take over you, and it gets you in all kinds of trouble. People persecute you. They talk about you. Read the part about not taking oaths. Put your right hand on the Bible and raise your one hand to God, and one on the Bible, whichever you want to do. I solemnly swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. People don't even go to church. They don't even believe in God to do that. It's just a formality. Or you talk about turning the other cheek and then taking up arms to kill somebody. How are you going to do this? It's got to be a conviction. It's a conviction. A conviction without excuses. A conviction. This is why I believe. I don't believe because you do. I don't believe because we're all supposed to. I believe because I'm convicted. I've spent enough time with the Lord about some things that I wouldn't change for my wife. My I wouldn't change for anybody. If the neighbors across the street thought I was weird, then that's the price I pay. I'm, in their eyes, a weird man. But I have peace with God because I'm not going to jump up and down with this thing. I'm going to wait till I find out what I believe, and I'm going to do it. 
I'm going to live this way. I am compelled. I am compelled to live this way. It's a conviction of my heart. And if I'm compelled, then I am constrained. If I am constrained and I am convinced, then I will trust the Lord with all of my heart. Why? Because I'm sure. Well, nobody else I know does this. I didn't say I'm doing it because somebody else does. I did sing the song in verse 2 that says, Though none go with me, still I will follow. I remember not exactly the place, but I remember a moment in my life when I was singing that. And we all sing it like we all would. Oh, though, though none go with me, I still will follow. You'll get your chance. Because I asked myself, would you? And my head said, well, of course I would. And your heart said, yeah, would you? What if it cost you your ministry? What if it cost you back in those days? What if it cost you invites? I had no job. The only income I had was what people gave me. Still is. Still is. That's the way I live. Always have lived since I've been a Christian. You couldn't pay me to take salary. I wouldn't do it. You can't hire me. I'm not for hire. I'm not for sale. I just believe it because I see it. And if I have to walk alone and lose everybody, and I've lost a lot of friends because of my convictions, then I will. There are people who say, oh, we believe in this and we believe in that. And yet I say, if you sit down and read the Bible and I challenge you, you couldn't tell me why you believe that. Because you're believing it because it's popular and a lot of people do, but you don't know what you believe. You don't know what you believe. I believe in this and I believe this and so. Based on what? See, I believe something that I'm convinced of, that I am personally convinced of, and I have chosen to believe this, whether anybody else does or not, and I am committed in this way of putting my hands on this plow and being unwilling to look back. Now, I want to be teachable. You show me where I'm wrong, Lord. Send somebody, let them all come. Challenge me. Put me down. Just let them be right. Because if they're not right, like Job, I'm not giving in. That will make you stable. Thirdly, be willing to take a stand because of your convictions. Be willing to take a stand. I just mentioned about that. Martyrs went to their death. Great men, men who were alone, lonely men who found their peace with God and therefore were in a crowd. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, all the angels, they, they were never alone. They were abandoned by men, but their heart was full of truth. Some of them only had a little bit of Bible to read, very little teaching, but they believed it. And because they would not recant before somebody who was going to cut their head off or burn them at stake, all they had to do was say, I recant. I take it back. And they would have lived. Luther. For whatever you believe about him, Martin Luther in the Reformation, the one who broke from the Catholic tradition, some of it, some of it because of his conviction about being saved and righteousness comes by faith. He was excommunicated. He went to a big conference. He was a bold man to do that because they should have probably wanted to capture him there and kill him down there. But he stood before all of these people who challenged him, and he said in his speech, a wonderful speech, but a part of his speech at the end of it said this. He says, my conscience is bound to the word of God. I cannot change. God help me. 
Now, they still gnashed their teeth at him, but they couldn't touch the man. He turned and walked right out of them. They couldn't even lay hold on him. My conscience is bound to the word of God. I cannot change. Would to God all of us had a conscience that was bound to the word of God. Then none of us would be for sale. Fear couldn't win the battle over our lives. Nobody could threaten us. They could cut our children's heads off and we wouldn't give in. If we had a conscience and a conviction like that. Nobody said this is going to be an easy walk or we weren't going to be tested and tried. Jesus said, be of good cheer. I've overcome all the stuff that you're facing. I've overcome all of it. We take a stand on taking oaths, we said a while ago, or holidays and politics and voting, or our doctrines of tongues and non-resistance. We take stands, and we're persecuted for that. You know what people think about you when they're all talking and you walk in the room, they all get quiet. But at least you have a testimony that can convict them of their lives. But if they see you rise and they see you fall, they see you rise, they see you fall, and you're standing with your arms up one day and yelling at the umpire the next day, driving 90 miles an hour and acting crazy one day, and then singing, oh, how I love Jesus the next, they keep talking when you come in the room because they're not convicted by any sort by your life because you're not stable. You're just up and down. You're up and down. You're not a stable person. You don't have a good testimony. How's your testimony in this room with each other? If I were to ask you, you young people, if I had asked your mom or dad, how is Levi doing? How's Thomas doing? Is Thomas living the life at home? Does he respond to your wishes at home to be a, an honorable son or daughter? What would your mom or dad say? What would your mom or dad say if I asked you? What about your parents? Your parents live this life at home? Could you stand before this church and say, my mom and dad live what they've been taught? They have convictions and they won't violate them? Or would you say, well, they, you know, they, no. What would your best friend say? If you two were the best of buddies and I said, is Thomas really a Christian? What would he say? <laughs> well, if he said that about you, what if he said, what would he say? Well, we don't know what each other would say. Where you work, where you did a job this week, or your employer, or the guys you work with, do they know you're a Christian? Would they tell me that, well, if we don't use bad words around him or her because they're Christian. Do they know you're that strong? Because if you're up and down, they'll keep cussing. If your life is not a stable life, if your convictions are only momentary, they have no respect or regard for you. Nobody will ever say to you, give us a reason of the hope that is within you. Your light is shining before us in such a way that we know that you got what we all need and we don't have it and we want it. Can you help us? That's our testimony. But if we're loud-mouthed, angry, flustered, using sometimes the words that we shouldn't use, sipping on a beer every now and then. That's cool because Christians ought to be cool. We can't be real holy. Just be cool. What a lie. 
What a convictionless life. What a convictionless life. Little things like that. What if I ask your wife, is Tom really a Christian? What if I ask Tom, is Bonnie really, is she all this, you know, her kids don't think she ever sinned, but has she? <laughs> they know I have. What would they say about us? You see, I believe, as I said, we're all going to suffer in some way for the stands that we have taken. That's number four. You're going to suffer, and are you willing to suffer? Are you willing to take a stand, number three? Are you willing to suffer, number four? Are you willing to give in? Or are you willing to stand fast? Turn to Hebrews 10. See, this is a message of endurance. This is what endurance is all about. It's holding fast. Nobody holds fast without convictions. And without convictions, you don't endure because you don't hold fast. Hold fast is a cousin to being stable. Hebrews chapter 10. You've heard this before. Look at verse 32 about the consequences of your conviction. But call to remembrance the former days, the days in which after God opened your eyes to see things, you had revelations, you endured a great fight of afflictions. Why? Because you heard something? Were you persecuted because you heard a message? Nobody persecutes you because you've heard something. It's if you believe the something and you live like that something is true. He said, you endured a great fight of afflictions, partly while you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions. People say, are you one of them? Y'all believe like they do? Years ago, it was whatever faith assembly did, if people heard you preach faith, they said, you're one of them. And they just assumed that what they heard, all the junk they heard was true, and so they just leveled those accusations that they heard as though they were true at you. I remember there came a time in my life I said, I am through trying to justify anything. Let them talk. Let the little dogs bark. So be it. I know in whom I have believed. He'll take care of all that. Partly while you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while you became companions of them that were so used. You had compassion of me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. Because of me, they whacked on you, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, your faith that God is true, your assurance of what he has promised you that he will do it. Don't give in to this. For he said in verse 36, you have need of patience that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise because far too many people give up. Many of these folks have been called, but they weren't chosen. They weren't chosen. Verse 38, now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, if any man draw back, God says, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of those that draw back to destruction or perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. 
all because you're convicted and you will not change. This word has become your life. Isn't that true? I live this way because of what the word says. The word thus has outlined for me the way I'm supposed to live, and thus the word, as Proverbs 4.13 says, hold on to instruction, hold it fast. She's your life. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by the word. But you don't live by the word unless you're convicted of it, because if it's going to cost you a lot, most people will abandon them at the point of persecution. That's why Jesus says, get on the cross and die. This is how difficult the Christian life is. I wish it was all about Rudolph and little Easter bunnies. Just a pleasant little journey through the green pastures and the still waters of glory. But it's a life you've got to live down here with people. People who will hate you, Jesus said. People who think you're crazy. People who can gang up on you and make it hard for you. They can hurt you. People who do their very, very best to get you to quit because in all of these people is a spirit. All of them. There's a spirit that gnashes their teeth at the truth. They can't have it. These spirits can't. But you've got it. They want nothing more than to make you miserable and try to get you to give up that. But for those who have convictions, God says, he will prepare your table. Isn't this in Psalm 23? Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of the heads of the church, where there I shall get my great reward from them and be a deacon or an elder. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. They've got to watch you do this. There you are, unaccustomed, unbothered unmoved you just hold fast I know in whom I have believed and I'm trusting that God who said he is faithful will be faithful to keep me from being tested and troubled beyond that which I'm able to endure but that he will with all his temptation that he will enable me to hold fast and to stand and when you do that once your convictions get stronger until finally you get older and you get more stable. And you become a pillar and a testimony. And you are one of those that people look to and they say, you know, I've watched your life for five or six years now. I've never seen you be up and down. You've always been strong. That's the kind of life I want to live. I want to be strong like you are. We're going to be persecuted. All that live godly in Christ Jesus, Second Timothy 2, will be persecuted. Would you follow me just four or five little verses in 1 Peter 2, 3, 4, and 5? Those four chapters, 1 Peter 2, 3, 4, and 5. There's a verse or two in each of those. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20. For what glory is it when you are buffeted for your faults that you take it patiently? But if you do well and you suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. That's the way we live when persecuted. When the consequences of our stand cause persecution. Chapter 3 and verse 14. And if you suffer for righteousness sake, 
Happy are you, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But they're going to do this. Be not troubled. Take comfort in this word. Chapter 4 and verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which are to try you as though something strange has happened to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Verse 17, the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Chapter 5, 9 and 10. Talking about your adversary whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are being accomplished by your brethren which are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, will make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. You will be stable. You will be unmovable. You will be steadfast. You will be one that others can really turn to. Your life can be a testimony. How many people are looking at your life right now hoping they can be as strong as you are? Anybody? You suppose anybody looks up to you and says, I want to be strong like him or her. That's our testimony. Should be. Because lastly, fifthly, you can be stable. And one of the keys to a stable life is to be cheerful. 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 Oh, but the circumstances, all oh, but the rewards. All oh, but the rewards and the comfort of God. All oh, but the enemy comes in like a flood. All oh, but the Lord raises up a standard. Oh, but the woe and all the pain and suffering. Ah, but the joy, the peace that comes. One is better than the other one. One is momentary, the other is eternal. Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Rejoice. Rejoice evermore, for God would like for you to do that. In Acts chapter 5, the disciples were brought before a council. In the early church, they were told to shut up about Jesus. Don't preach about him anymore. Now, you know, Paul taught that you're to obey the rulers, aren't you? The government rulers, those in authority. Those in authority said, don't preach anymore in this name. So what are we going to do with that? Well, obviously, you obey all the rules the government lays out, except for those that would violate your convictions. And when they do that... The government told me to go kill, I would say, I cannot. I cannot in good conscience do that. I can't. I can't do it. Therefore, I won't. Well, you go into jail, then that's the consequences, and I'll gladly do that. You can be joyful in jail. I hope you don't know that. Paul was. He sang a hymn in jail. Jail couldn't keep him long. Peter was in jail once. The jail couldn't keep him long. But they were glad, glad-hearted, joyful, rejoicing. A merry heart, a merry heart, a joyful, convinced, peaceful, expectant heart with God doeth good like a medicine. 
And the Bible also says, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. That's in Proverbs 15, 13. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. And I can tell you this in closing. If you're really convinced this morning that what you've been taught, that you have personally become assured of, is the Word of God, and that He watches over that Word to make sure it works. If you're sure of that, it is obvious that you should rejoice and put a smile on your face. I don't care what forecasts are coming tomorrow, how much flu, snow, woe, no go. I don't care how much of what's coming. You know in whom you have believed, and you're trusting that God will make a way for you. That greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And whatever he wants, he can have. Because I am his purchased possession. I have been bought with a price. I am compelled to take him at his word and trust him. It's taken a few years to be fully convinced about some things. But those wonderful years, I wouldn't trade for anything because it was years of bonding with God. Therefore, rejoice. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would set us, and I know you have, but more and more aware of the course of our life, where we're going what our life should testify to, what others should see in us, that we would be not only believers and committed, living holy, but stable. Not up, not down, but up. Not wishy-washy, not yea today and nay tomorrow, but always living as though everything is yes and amen. Grant us this kind of hope, Lord. Let us expect this to be in our life. And Heavenly Father, there are sitting before me this morning in this room, and probably those who watch this by DVD, who need this morning that special moment that we all need in which our convictions stir our passions up to lay hold of this word and never let go of it. I pray, Lord, that those that have struggled and strayed away from this faith and gone back into the darker places of religion, that you would, as is your will, to bring them out again, make them strong. You can do that because you've done it. And I ask you to bless this word to your people. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Remember with me, still I will
cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. Sing glory. Sing glory, glory. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Amen.